we found out about this six or so months later. Okay. So it, mm. it's, you know, it had been blowing up for months and was draining us financially in terms of morale. So what was happening was, as we found out much after the fact, the debts for his government funded office and company were all being called immediately. He had 30 days to repay essentially a few million dollars. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete, proven, step-by-step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Brendan Davis. Brendan, are you ready to rock? Born ready, Andrew. Let's rock, man. (laughs) Born ready. All right. Well, Brendan is a writer, director, producer, working internationally in film and TV. He began his entertainment career in Atlanta in 1990, moved to Los Angeles in 2002, and has split his time between Beijing and Los Angeles since 2013. In December 2019, Davis was recognized for his cross-cultural leadership by being appointed to serve as a distinguished special foreign expert with the Beijing Global Talent Exchange Association. His appointment as an advisor runs through 2024. That's a pretty cool distinction there. Brendan, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, grew up, born and raised in the South, moved to LA, lifelong interest in Asia, ended up in China. And I'm back in the States preparing for the next project, which we'll get to later on. But yeah, that's pretty good, man. Exciting, exciting. All right, well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since Uh no, (laughs) no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Okay, here we go. So my worst investment ever definitely had a financial component, of course, but the lessons that I learned from it, you know, they had a high value, but the biggest loss was really the time spent, the opportunity costs, because I could have done other things with that time, of course. And it also ended up being a big part of what led to the dissolution of my then partnership, which was also a personal relationship. And that's never tricky. That's never complicated, but I'm going to focus on the business deal here. So the circumstances are that this is all related to the Chinese film industry situation circa about 2013, 2014. At that time, China was wide open to foreign investment, co-productions. They were really big on co-productions, trying to work with another treaty partner and be able to you know, change talent and money and stuff back and forth. And one of the places they were the most keen to work with was New Zealand. Now, beautiful place. Have you been to New Zealand yourself? Oh, yes. You traveled a lot? Yeah. Okay. Christ, Christ Church area. Oh, lovely. Well, I happen to have two partners down there and we had been developing a project for a long time. Now, meanwhile, in LA, I partnered up with this Chinese producer I met there in Los Angeles. We developed a few things together. And one of the things we decided to do was this project of all these things that seemed like it could, would, and should work as a co-pro between China and New Zealand and checked all the boxes we knew to sort of look at. So again, it had already been developed really thoroughly as a Western New Zealand Hollywood type project, 
But because of the really great incentives for co-pros, if you did it in New Zealand, we decided to rework the business plan to fit into that specific template that had its various thou shalls and thou shalt nots. So the first steps were working to make the business and also the creative plan fit those COPA requirements of both countries. And that's pretty massive challenge in and of itself. So the details of that are a little better left like an MFA producing seminar, okay? But the gist is that because of the cultural issues in China, we had to really re-examine and rebuild the whole story and the characters from the ground up, you know, because of censorship and sensitivities, blah, blah, blah. So this led to all kinds of problems. And again, that's a whole other podcast, but basically, Mm. you know, it would have been a massive pain point if we'd gotten past the deal breaker issues, which is what we're here to talk about. I'm getting to that. So anyway, we were resolved to make this work right? We had a lot of experience between the team and we knew a fair bit about the process we thought and that we had the strategic depth to tackle it, or at least that's what we thought going in. So the next step to making this a reality was to find a suitable China side financier. So through former colleagues, my then Chinese partner, she found someone who seemed perfect. This guy was straight out of central casting. Okay. He was a second generation wealthy guy in China, vice president of a big state owned film finance entity, like the government's money in film. He was one of the guys deciding where to spend that money. He had been rewarded for his massive success so far with a 50% government investment in a new firm, all his own to develop and produce projects. Pretty good, right? Mm. Pretty good so far. So he was just getting going with this new company when we kind of came along. And it seemed like we were the answer to each other's dreams. Now, little side note, I mean, I speak basic okay Chinese right now, but seven years ago, I was really deficient. And he spoke zero English. So, of course, we had to rely on interpreters. In my case, it was my partner who also had to play interpreter, and that definitely wore on as things went. So, anyway, we went to Beijing. We met him, liked each other, vice versa. Things seemed really great. He had very fancy offices. He was obviously or seemingly very rich and powerful. He seemed like the right guy that you want to go, yes, I'll give you the money. And that, you know, everything about him validated that he would be the guy to do this. Mm. So he gave us a suite of offices in his fancy custom designed new headquarters building. And it was in a compound. Even then I could tell it was a big deal. But later I really appreciated just how high he had risen and mm. also how far he later fell, which right. we are getting to here. So anyway, in Beijing, I was there with my partner on and off a month at a time back and forth between Beijing and Los Angeles. So the creative part was a giant just mess, script rewrites, endless notes that were often contradictory, et cetera. But the business plan seemed to be coming together very smoothly. We signed a deal and being a guy who's worked in China and lives in Thailand, you know, it was chopped with his seal, like his official. Mm, so it was like very yep. official. Got the They're chop. not fooling around. You know, they got the chop out, they got the seal. So that detailed everything about how we were supposed to operate, And it spelled out exactly what he was committing to do as an EP and a financier. Mm -hmm. Now, it was decided after many months of this back and forth that we go back to China one more time before he moved the money that he'd already committed to to spend into our New Zealand escrow account. So before me and my partner left China for New Zealand to start this film's pre-production, we were all going to appear at the 2014 Beijing Film Festival and market to make a big announcement together. Right. That's kind of like going to Cannes or Toronto. Big deal. So we did that. He built for his company a very fancy booth. It was probably the second or third fanciest, nicest booth of the couple of hundred there. Tons of media. I did dozens of interviews, English, Chinese, so many photos, so many stories. There were about 80 photographers at our press spray. It was a pretty big public deal. But the troubles started immediately 
after that press conference and photo shoot. I mean, we were sitting to the side, just catching our breath. This, this angry, short little woman who I'd never met, never heard of. I had no idea who she was because I just met, you know, a few hundred people Mm. had no idea who she was. She disappeared out of nowhere beside, you know, and she spoke pretty good English and she introduced herself as a friend of our guy. Mm. I'm like, okay, nice to meet you. And I was very, you know, very polite and everything. But then she started to say some critical things. Like she knew all about the project. Like I had no idea who she was, but she knew all about me, all about the project. And she proceeded to grill me with creative issues she had with the story. Now, I had no idea who she was or who she thought she was, much less why she knew all of these delicate details of our business, right? And it turns out, and here's our plot twist, it turns out she was a human speed bump. Hmm. She was meant to buy our guy time to get his act together. So here's what was happening. And I'm going to say this in a way that I'm comfortable living with out in the world, Hmm. but it's pretty sensitive stuff. So his father, from where his power and wealth had derived, got caught up in a corruption scandal. And this was prior to the official corruption campaign, mm. okay, the Tigers and Flies. This, he was like a canary in the coal mine for all that. But so daddy lost his influence in his high position and was likely going to go to jail, apparently. I never got a straight answer whether that happened or not. But all this badness was trickling down to the sun. And meanwhile, our guy, was about to lose his ass and was desperately covering it as fast as he could and covering it up. Right. He kept us completely in the dark about the true nature of the situation. If we had known this, we would have pivoted to somebody else. We had yep. a few other options that we had to let go because we were all in and we, we, we had a chop deal. We had a signed deal. Right. This is official as it gets. But he strung us along with all this BS as the wheels came off for him. We found out about this six or so months later. Okay, so it's, you know, it had been blowing up for months and was draining us financially in terms of morale. So what was happening was, as we found out much after the fact, the debts for his government funded office and company were all being called immediately. He had 30 days to repay essentially a few million dollars. Mm. His rich friends all turned their back on him because apparently he was getting a scarlet letter. And he was busy saving his own butt, but he didn't disclose anything to us. No problems, no indication. He lied his butt off, and he kept this story afloat. Mm. And we had to try to keep the movie afloat. So we were throwing a lot of good money after bad in hindsight, of course. And he was claiming that the reason he like wouldn't move the financing yet was for creative issues. And so this little toxic henchwoman was just inventing all kinds of just dumb stuff as distractions. That's what led us finally to dig deep enough to go, this just does not make any sense. I'm sorry. Mm. So wrapping this up in total, I mean, I lost tens of thousands of dollars in trips and other development expenses and fees, people we hired for things, deposits we had on stage, things like that. That stress ultimately cost me my Chinese partner in LA because of the intertwined personal professional thing and like nobody could get a break. And we spent 18 months of our lives chasing this, following up on it, recovering from the deal. Plus there was a replacement for him that we did find afterward. Thankfully that blew up much more cleanly and honestly. So kudos (laughs) to the other guy for being very legit. It just was ultimately not going to work. And he was really upfront and was, thank you. I'm sorry, but, Thank you. That's great. So ultimately, the big thing is we didn't get the project made. And it's Mm -hmm. a damn shame because it would have been a pretty good one, I think. Wow. And so what have you learned from this? 
Man, so many lessons, Andrew. First of all, the big one, and again, you are a cross-cultural guy. I'm a cross-cultural guy. Cultural differences are real. Mm. The cultural differences are very, very real around the world. So, for instance, in China, anyone who's dealt with China knows this, the contracts, the meaning of a contract is very different. And in the Western world, you know, we look at a contract and by God, you spend all this time negotiating, et cetera, and you finally memorialize it and sign it. And then that is what you shall do or suffer consequences. And in China, the contract represents that you definitely sincerely intend to work together and resolve everything as it comes up, but it's all going to change. Assume it's all going to change. So the other one related specifically to China in this case is the concepts of face or mianza and guanxi, which is like the relationships. And those are not to be taken for granted. This guy couldn't risk losing face and he lost his guanxi. He lost his connections and his network. And ultimately, some divides can't be bridged. So like really actionable stuff for anybody. Pick your battles really, really carefully, Mm. right? Don't set yourself up for success as much as possible. I've endeavored, well, I was endeavoring to do that before, frankly, but I definitely had to reiterate it and I definitely live in that space. Now, the thing about what I do, I mean, making movies is hard enough. Yep. Right. It's hard enough just to make a bad movie. Making a good movie is you got to do all the work and you have to kind of like win the luck lottery on your birthday. So if I just had to say one thing, only work with people with whom you can have trust and full, clear communication. Got it. Yep. Let me pull out a few things that I take away from it. The first one is complexity. You know, as soon as complexity, recently I had someone that came to me and asked me to do a particular project. And the more I met with that person, the more I started realizing that this was going to be a very complex, it just was really hard. And I just thought to myself, eventually I talked to my business partners and I went back to the person. I just said, look, this is too complex for us. And I walked away. Yeah. And I really felt great about walking away. (laughs) Probably slept like a baby that night. Yeah. Beware of complexity. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, you know, we never know what's truly going on behind the scenes unless there's someone that we really know and trust. And, you know, it's every entrepreneur, every business person, you know, they're trying to put on their best face. But the reality is there's always things going on behind the scenes. So never believe that, you know, money's going to be in the bank or whatever. There's all kinds of reasons why it may not work. And that's why you got to stay on top of it. You know, I also think about Thailand and thinking about the contracts. I had a a friend of mine who had a contract with a company that they would help set up revenue from outside of Thailand. And as a result, they'd be paid, but they'd also get some shares and the company was going to list in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Well, the shares were initially, it was like five bot, but by the time the shares were ready to get listed, the shares were worth about 50. So this guy would have made and got a lot of shares. He would have made a lot of money, but yeah, at the last minute they decided they weren't going to grant him the shares. Oh, and that was a 10 X thing he lost yeah, out on. And I was talking about it with him and he was saying, yeah, and they said something to the effect of, if we knew that these shares were going to be worth that much, we would have never entered into this contract. I'll take bad faith negotiating 101. Yeah. And from their perspective, you know, the way they saw it is that the contract is negotiable. Yeah. It's a suggestion. It's a suggestion, really. Yeah. Now, he ended up getting the shares and he did it through 
relationships oh, by going, okay. to the, going to the people that he knew that knew them and mm-hmm. getting them to help put pressure on them to live up nice. to what it was. So he managed to pull out of it. But the point is, is that just because, you know, you think you have a contract, it just may not be. I mean, yeah. everybody has different perspective on it. And really mm-hmm. a contract's only value is at the point of conflict. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's hard to ever know that at the point of conflict, will this stand up? Mm-hmm. The other thing, the last thing, I, I, I have a little story about Thailand, which is the idea of when you talk about guanxi or you talk about mm-hmm. relationships, you talk about saving face. If you think about, let's just say that, let's say I'm a, a negotiator in America and I'm trying to do a deal. The people behind me are big family, big money, you know, let's say the Clintons or the Bushes or whatever. I would never go into a deal and go, hey, I'm representing, you know, George Bush or, you know, whoever. Right. I would keep that on the low and we mm-hmm. would negotiate and all that. Mm-hmm. But in Thailand, as one friend of mine said, he said, you show your cards first. Yeah. Because if the other person oversteps their power, they can't step back. Right. right. And that's the idea of face and not wanting mm-hmm. to lose face. Mm-hmm. And so in Asia, sometimes you, I have gone into negotiations and discussions where I say, yeah, I, I'm from this group and our main leader of the group is so-and-so. And that yeah, you have to name drop high. that person so they know. And that goes against world. the way we're brought up, let's say in yeah. the West. But, yeah. you know, it is technically necessary in yeah. order for the other side to kind of know how to handle it in a hierarchical society. So Completely. The hierarchical aspect is very strong in all the Asian cultures I know anything about. Yeah. 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 It makes a lot of sense. Okay. So based upon what you learned from this story mm-hmm. and what you've continued to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Develop your empathy for the people you're working with. Empathy is really the key. You want to make sure that you truly have a clear understanding of mm. where your other party and the deal is coming from or other parties, which of course go, going back to complexity, but you really want to understand them as well as possible and then tailor your strategy accordingly. And then of course, continue to be empathetic, keep your eyes and ears open and see how things, how they're reacting as things develop. But yeah, so develop empathy is mm, the fortune of keepers. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing I was thinking about is kind of having awareness. Yeah. And not totally. being afraid to kind of investigate. You expressed that there were some things that kind of made you a bit nervous, but you know, yeah, he seemed like a big shot. It seemed like everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, oh, you, just, yeah. you just never know what's going on behind the scenes. Well, very, very true. Yeah. Appearances can be awfully deceiving. Yeah. And they have to be, I mean, everybody's in business, you know, to some extent you've got to keep a brave face even when you're facing tough times. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's that. All right. Well, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Make my current feature film projects called My Favorite Season, which is set in the world of Paris fashion, and then resettle in what I hope to be my new home in Auckland, New Zealand. Oh, exciting. Exciting. Yeah, it sounds good, right? Yes, it sounds (laughs) good. We're going to check up on you in 12 months. (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) All right. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Brendan and I want to thank you for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners 
are learning to win as a result. And I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave few. I asked many and few say yes. Yeah. To take, you know, to bring your worst investment ever and turn it into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate what you just said. So I do the two podcasts. If I knew you better is a long form interview show. That's a very global show. And then I have a co-hosted show called how China works with Ying Lee, my partner on that show. And if people are really interested in living, working, traveling, or knowing China or they're in China, they want to know the world, please check those out. But my parting words, I have to say, please, everyone send your best wishes prayers, whatever works for you to China as they deal with this novel coronavirus situation. They really need all the support they can get, and I'm, I'm rooting for them. Yep. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to check out that podcast, and I'll have links in the show notes, folks, so you can go there and click in on them. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth, fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.